Welcome to part two of our interview on the Air Force JAG Corps Air Reserve Component, or ARC, with our three guests, Brigadier General Mitch Newrock, Lieutenant Colonel Rebecca Odie, and Captain Amanda Wong, who collectively share their stories and unique officer perspectives on serving in the Air Force JAG Air Reserve Component. Here are a few clips from part two of the interview. So I think that at different points in your civilian career, different parts of the JAG Corps reserve components work better for, for you. If you've got that spirit of service, if you've got real legal experience, like we were talking about before, if you want greater meaning, there is a home for you in the Air Force Reserve as a judge advocate, and you should come play for us. Welcome to the Air Force Judge Advocate General's Reporter Podcast, where we interview leaders, innovators, and influencers on the law, leadership, and best practices of the day. And now to your host from the Air Force Judge Advocate General School. Yes, sir. And clearly I'm seeing a theme here from all three of your accounts on taking that training that you get within the military that's very unique, right? Uh, and that is very valuable within the civilian sector. One question I have for all of you, and I'll start off with General Newrock since we're, we're discussing this right now. Just a question that m many folks may have is, how do you balance uh, a civilian career with a part-time military career? It's not always easy. And there are challenges that every one of us will face as members of the part-time program. I'm very fortunate to have a very, very supportive civilian office back in Houston at the United States Attorney's Office. They've always been supportive of my military service. Uh, they've been supportive uh, despite the fact that I've been gone now for seven months in this position here, left my civilian job to come do this. Uh, but they are uh, they're tremendously supportive of it. Now, I feel a very strong obligation back to them also, which is you know to try to provide as much support to them uh, while I'm gone and also to uh, be super sensitive uh, to the needs of the office while I'm there too, knowing that uh, they've gone the extra mile to to support my service. Really, the the challenges we face are threefold, uh, making sure that our civilian careers uh, stay uh, focused and moving in the right direction. Uh, we have personal and family commitments that we need to uphold and abide by, and we have military commitments. And trying to keep all those things in balance, uh, there's no secret formula and there's no set formula uh, that will result in success for everybody. Everybody's uh, equilibrium is just a little bit different. And devoting all your time to military at the expense of a civilian career and, and family life is going to make you unhappy in the long run and uh, very likely unsuccessful also. And the same is true devoting yourself completely to personal life without regard for military service or your civilian career and so on. Uh, but uh, trying to find that equilibrium, knowing that there is going to be greater time spent uh, at some times with uh, military time as opposed to the other parts of your life, uh, and sometimes having the uh, the ability maybe to spend a little bit less time with military because you're focusing on civilian career or family obligations. Uh, it's a sliding scale and it's uh, something that shifts over time with each of us. Well, thank you, sir. And for Lieutenant Colonel Odie, I would ask you the same question. How have you been able to work to quote unquote balance uh, your military obligations with your civilian obligations? Yeah, it is a great question. Badly sometimes, most of the time, I've managed to do it um, pretty well. I think the trick I learned early on, and it was actually because I became a mom, not because I was balancing um, being a reservist or with a civilian life, was um, I used to think of it as like a three-legged stool. So all the parts should be equal all the time, and that's what gives me balance. I no longer think that way. 
um, which has helped me a lot. I now think of it more like juggling. So the key for me is realizing that sometimes I'm going to have to throw a ball really high up in the air for a while and give it a lot of focus. And the other balls are going to get closer to the ground. And that's okay. As long as I'm able to, you know, get them again before they hit the ground, they're not always going to all be at the same level. And that's what makes it interesting. So, for example, sometimes my civilian job is really busy. Um, and because I'm a partner in a small firm, I need to be here to make sure that my firm is successful. And the military is understanding of that as long as I let them know. And I've been very lucky that way that I've always felt like my bosses in the, in the military side are willing to help as much as they can as long as they know what's going on. And so good communication has been key. And likewise, sometimes in my civilian job, like with COVID, when all the courts basically got shut down, it wasn't as busy. And I was able to give back to the military by taking a longer extra um, duty um, as an ADC out at Keesler uh, to assist the military when they really needed a body and I was qualified to assist. And so that's that's been how I've learned to balance. I don't know if that's right for everybody, but I think communication with all the other people that are involved with the military, my civilian life and my family life, along with recognizing it's not always going to be equal in all three parts has has been a really good formula for my my personal ability to juggle everything. Great insights there. Thank you for sharing. And Captain Wong, same question over to you. So I think that at different points in your civilian career, different parts of the JAG Corps reserve components work better for, for you. So I started out as a an IMA reservist like Colonel Odie is. And at the time that worked really well because I was working at Social Security. I didn't have any individual clients of my own. So I was able to leave my civilian job for a week or two at a time um, and devote that time fully to the Air Force. But now, um, now that I'm at the Department of the Interior, I do have clients and it's harder to leave for longer periods of time. So that was actually part of the reason I wanted to switch over to Cat A to a reserve unit. So I think that this is going to actually be a lot better for my civilian clients because I'll be I'll be able to be more available to them because now actually I don't even have to do what general Neurock said was, uh, one weekend a month and two weeks per year, but I'm actually able to split my annual tour and include it with my one weekend a month. So basically I'm going to be doing a three day weekend once a month and never have to do a giant two week stint. So that is going to work out really well for me and my civilian career just um, at this point in my life. But when I was at social security, I had a lot more time. It, there was a lot more flexibility while I was at social security. I was actually able to pick up a long tour with the reserves and I did 96 days um, when they needed, when my, when my base, my active duty unit needed more help. So that was really rewarding to be able to do that. But but I, I do think that there is a lot of flexibility in, in the JAG Corps to allow for whatever sort of demands are, are on you for your civilian life. Also, when I was a IMA reservist, I was able to be at to be stationed at bases that were close to my house. Um, so I was able to drive there. It was really easy to get there and back. I also didn't have to go that frequently. So it was really easy to only go a few times a year and then not have to, it's like exactly what Colonel Odie was saying with the juggling of the balls. And, and with the, with the IMA program, you really can focus on your reserve 
career for a little while and then not have to think about it for maybe nine months, um, just depending on when you do your tours. And when I was an, an IMA reservist, I usually did one week in December, one week in March, and two weeks in July. And that was it. That was all I had to do for the whole year. So now as a Cat A reservist, I am going once a month, but it's just once a month for a weekend. And so that's actually much less of an impact on my family life as well, because I'm not gone for those long extended periods of time. So it's much shorter. It's more frequent, but it's shorter. Oh, go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to say, that's a terrific example of the flexibility we have in our program. First of all, the the ability to do the the extended weekend uh, with uh, with the traditional reserve unit, but also the mobility between parts of the program, right? Because uh, depending on what your life circumstances are like, uh, you can uh, you don't just come into our program and you're stuck in in one part of our program. You can flow between uh, back and forth between programs depending on uh, your civilian life, uh, your your civilian career and your personal and family needs uh, to move back and forth to different parts of the program uh, to help you serve in the most meaningful way possible. Yes. And I actually, I think that I'm hoping that in the future, at some point I get assigned to one of those overseas bases because I think that would be really great. But again, that would be the longer periods of time, but only a few times per year. So if I get to a point in my career where I am able to have some more of that time where I can leave my civilian job, I definitely do want to try to get one of those overseas bases and give that a try. I also, you know, even when I was doing these weeks away from my civilian job, I would still in the evenings, you know, log on to my work email and check it. And, you know, I was still accessible by phone and everything. And as a federal employee, all of my employers have always been super supportive of me leaving to do military service. There are also laws that require that any civilian job lets you go and can't penalize you for doing that. But beyond what is legally required of them, they've always been very supportive. So I I really do appreciate that. And it's kind of cool because as a federal employee, you get military leave where you're paid on leave with your civilian job. And then you at the same time get paid by the reserves. So it's kind of nice because you make a little extra money. It's not in the budget and you can use that money for, you know, home improvements or other things. So it's kind of great. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody joined this program to get rich, but that doesn't hurt. (laughs) Doesn't hurt. (laughs) Well, thank you, Captain Wong. Uh, Great insights there. And for General Newrock, and you kind of alluded to this uh, a little bit there, but it seems to me that the flexibility of the reserve component is likely a key to the retention of, of our reservists. Would that be a fair statement? It's a very fair statement. We want to make sure that we are able to help our people serve in the, in the most effective way possible. So uh, we do value stability in our program. So it's more than just service, definitely selfless service. Uh, and we talked about how to try to get people assigned to where their civilian skills are going to really make an impact. Uh, but stability matters to us. And, you know, we have uh, people who want to remain in place a little bit longer, maybe not move around so much. Uh, and uh, maybe want to be as close to home as possible. But then there are some people who join and they, and they say, I want to I join so I can see the world. So please assign me to that base in Japan or in Turkey so that uh, I can do something that's completely different from my civilian life. I don't want to stay close to home. Uh, and we have the ability to, uh, to move people around that way too. But for people who want to stay in place for longer, uh, we are certainly sensitive to that. The active duty appreciates uh, when we can leave people in place longer because it provides continuity and stability for them also. And it helps us build ties with the active duty and with our local communities also. So we want to encourage 
that uh, we do have the, the flexibility to move people between programs. We have the flexibility to move people to different locations around, uh, around the JAG Corps. And in fact, we encourage that because for people's professional development, it's important that you try different things, that you work in uh, a different uh, set of uh, office circumstances, different types of missions, uh, and keeping keeping people moving around like that, it's it's good for them. You don't get into a rut, and you develop better as a you develop better as a professional too. So we do have the flexibility to accommodate people's life circumstances. Uh, if you need, to, uh, as they say in the Air Force, if you need to throttle back a little bit because uh, you know things in the, the rest of your life are getting a little busy, we can work with you on that. And if you have more time to devote, we can try to get you to a position where uh, you can put that desire to to serve a little bit extra into play also. Well, sir, that's great to hear, especially for listeners that may be considering this as a career option. They know there is, there's some flexibility there, right? That they can work through your team um, there if, if needed. Definitely. Yes, sir. So uh, this is hopefully a, a softball question, an easy question, but j- just curious to get your insights on, on this. What has been one of your favorite experiences in the JAG Corps Reserves? For me, hands down, it was the time serving as the recruiter for the JAG program, uh, for the JAG Reserve and for the Air National Guard Judge Advocate Program. Uh, You meet so many great people, uh, be able to talk about what our program is like, the different ways that you can serve, the different things that you can do, the places you can go, and helping people find out whether or not this is for them. Uh, the military, military service isn't for everybody, uh, but for those that it works for, it's it's terrific. People bring in all kinds of contributions and skills, and they grow as people. They grow as professionals. They grow as individuals. And it it makes not just the JAG Corps better. It, it makes not just the Air Force and the Space Force better, but it makes the practice of law, the profession better, and it makes the individuals uh, better as, as human beings too. So helping people find something that really works for them and uh, matching them with the right program and matching them at the right location uh, where they can serve most effectively and most meaningfully, that by far has been the most rewarding thing that I've done in my entire career. Uh, and I've done a lot, of, a lot of fun things, uh, a lot of difficult things, but, uh, but a lot of fun things also. But that, I got to say, that was the funnest of them all. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, and Lieutenant Colonel Odie, same question over to you. What has been uh, one of the best experiences you've had in the Reserve Corps? Yes. Um, So I'm going to actually say I have two. One was a training I got to go to and one was a position I had. So the training I got to go to, which I just found fascinating and I would not have had this experience as a civilian, was the accident investigations course for um, aircraft. It was not something I realized I would be interested in necessarily. But I went, I attended down at the JAG school for an in-person training and found out that I just thought it was fascinating. I liked it. I liked the idea of of how it works and our part that we contribute to it. Um, So that was a really interesting opportunity for me, uh, like General Nurek had said, to find something I didn't even know I was going to be excited about um, because I happened to be in the reserves. The position I've enjoyed the most so far, although I've liked every position I've been in, has been appellate defense. Um, It was on my bucket list back when I was active duty. I still got to go and be a part of that team as a reservist. And it is just an amazing mission. It's an amazing group of people. They are intelligent. They are thoughtful. They are committed. And it's just one of the best teaming environments you can possibly be in. Everybody in, in that office is just 
supporting you and all for everything that you're trying to do. And it, it's unlike anything else I've gotten to be a part of. And I would go back in a heartbeat. Well, thank you for sharing, ma'am. And over to you, Captain Wong. <laughs> for me, because I've never been active duty, my favorite experiences as a JAG have been experiences that make me feel like I'm really in the Air Force. And I love wearing the uniform. I love you know, doing legal assistance and helping other military members. But for me, um, I've had the opportunity to race in the Air Force Marathon in uniform as a military member. And that has been really rewarding. There's something called the MAGCOM Challenge. Um, it's They changed the name just recently to the Air and Space Challenge. But what it is, is the different major commands of the Air Force and the Space Force compete against each other at the Air Force Marathon for bragging rights about which command is the best. And I actually raced once for AFSOC when I was at Cannon Air Force Base. So I raced with an active duty um, MAGCOM, which is AFSOC is Special Operations Command. And then I also raced for the Air Force Reserve Command once. And that was really cool too, getting to represent the reserves. I also represented just myself as a military member in the Bataan Memorial Death March, which is held at White Sands um, Missile Range. And so that wasn't actually an Air Force event, but anyone, I competed in uniform, wearing my full Air Force uniform. It was a full trail marathon. Um, and I was just really proud to be wearing that uniform. And people were like, yay, go Air Force. And that made me really proud. They also wanted us to bring a coin from our unit to leave at the uh, Bataan Memorial Death March and they made a collection. And so um, this was when I was at Cannon Air Force Base and I have an, a JAG Commando coin for special operations. And I was able to leave that um, at the missile range. And that just made me feel like really part of the military, part of the JAG Corps, part of AFSOC at the time. So that was really great. Well, thanks for highlighting that, Captain Wong. I think it's uh, definitely imperative to remember that we are when you, when you serve, um, you are also you're an officer and a lawyer at the same time. So, having that operational experiences uh, are for many people are, are highlights to their career. So, obviously, we could talk on and on with with this topic, but as we kind of move into our, our final uh, few questions for General Newrock, if folks have an interest in uh, applying to the JAG Corps Reserves, how would they go about doing that? Well, there are a couple of ways. First of all is uh, to find us on the web, and you can find us at uh, afreserve.com slash JAG, so AF Air Force, afreserve.com slash JAG. Or uh, we're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Air Force JAG. So you can find us on the web at either of those places, or you can call us at 703-697-2213, And there you can speak with uh, a live human being who will talk all uh, about our programs with you and uh, answer all your questions and help you figure out what part of the program might be best for you. Uh, we have a team of people who are dedicated to uh, our recruiting efforts for the Air Force Reserve, for the Air National Guard, and helping people find uh, the way to serve that's going to be the most meaningful for them. So if you are selected, uh, and if you've never served before, uh, we would send you to initial training, teach you how to be an Air Force officer. Uh, all our training is done in Montgomery, Alabama at a place called Maxwell Air Force Base. Uh, we'll send you there for eight weeks to 
do uh, officer training. And then if uh, right after that, uh, we'll send you for an additional nine weeks uh, for training on how to be a JAG. So that'll be JAG specific legal training. Uh, so there is a time commitment if you've never served before. As you join our program uh, that first year, you're going to be kind of busy uh, getting the uh, officer training and getting the JAG training. But then after that, you're able to settle into that reserve schedule uh, that Colonel Odie has and that Captain Wong have, have talked about. Uh, I should mention that there is an age limit. So if you've never served before as a commissioned officer, you've got to be younger than 35. We do have a little bit of flexibility, uh, not terribly much, but we do have some. Uh, but uh, as long as you're under that age, we do have uh, the opportunity to bring you in. But really, find us on the web uh, at afreserve.com slash JAG or on Facebook or call us at 703-697-2213. And sir, in conjunction with that, are there any additional resources outside of what you've already mentioned where listeners can learn more about the Air Reserve component? The websites that we have are very, very comprehensive. So I think that's the best place for people to look. Uh, and uh, do not be shy about calling the phone number because we're excited to talk with people about our program. Uh, happy to tell you the uh, the positives and you know there are negatives too. I mean, it's a time commitment and uh, it is a change from civilian life. And so uh, we'll talk all through that with you and answer all your questions. So please do not hesitate to, uh, to make a phone call. Thank you, sir. And I have one final question for all three of our guests, and I'm going to start off with Captain Wong, then go to Lieutenant Colonel Odie and um, let General Newrock have the final answer on this one. So my final question is, are there any final thoughts or comments that you have on today's topic that we discussed or maybe other areas that we just uh, didn't get a chance to talk about? Sure. Um, I just, I'm always recommending to new attorneys that I meet in my civilian capacity that they consider joining the Air Force Reserve JAG Corps, because I really do think it's just a, a great way to serve. And it also just advances your civilian career as well. It allows you to diversify, get different experiences. I, um, Especially for federal employees, I think it, it it's really beneficial. So I'm whenever someone, you know, whenever I'm mentoring young, young attorneys, I always recommend this is something that they should consider. And, you know, for a lot of people, they're like, I, I don't think I can because I have kids or I, I don't think I can because my career is so busy. Those first that first year where you do have to go to officer training school and JAG school can be difficult, but people make it work. And, and, you know, that's what in-laws are for and, <laughs> and uh, spouses and things like that. But I think it's totally worth it. I, um, I really enjoy it. I'm so glad I'm in. I'm, I'm really hoping to continue my career for many more years. I just think it's a great program. And, you know, you get opportunities, lots of chances for continuing legal education. I know that sometimes in my civilian job, I don't get as much uh, continue, continuing legal education as as I sometimes need, but the Air Force Reserve has a thing called annual survey of the law, and they send you to it every two years. It's um, two days, and you get all of the CLEs you need for a year, and it includes ethics. Um, there's also tons of online uh, CLEs that you can attend, so that's a great thing as well. I know also some folks who work in private practice in small firms, enjoy being in the reserves because you're also eligible for TRICARE, which is health insurance, and it's very affordable. So there are just lots of benefits um, for someone who's in the reserves, but also we have this great opportunity to serve, uh, give back to the military, to military members, and to our country. And I just really love it. So thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, Captain Wong. And over to you, Lieutenant Colonel Odie. Yes, well, I agree with everything Captain Wong has said. 
I will say that another avenue that I've had people reach out to me through is if you, even if you are done with your law school training already and you're out practicing, if you go back to your career counselors at your law school, a lot of them will connect you with an alumni who might be in the reserves or in the military already. And that might be a more personal connection if you're um, wanting to have a more private conversation or if you just want to reach out to somebody that you already have a connection with to learn more about the reserves. And I know that I do that regularly for my law school. And I enjoy it, even if they don't end up deciding to um, partake in the reserves. It's another person that I get a chance to meet and have a conversation with. And we both normally walk away, um, you know, maintaining that connection that we've made. Um, I will also say that I think that the military has a ton to offer anybody. And if you don't think you can do it, I promise you can. I have two amazing kids. I have a husband, like I said, that's in law enforcement, that his job is challenging also. And we've made it work. So it is it is doable. It is fascinating. It is fun. If you come with the right attitude, I guarantee there's plenty of things that will keep you coming back for more. And if you find out it's not the right fit, um, it's not an indefinite commitment. So um, you're not required to do 20 years just because you decide to come in and and try it out for a while. We'd like you to stay. But if it doesn't end up being the right fit for you long term, I think it's still a great experience to have even for four years or or the time that you commit yourself to it. Well, thank you so much for those comments, ma'am. And sir, uh, General Newrock, over to you for final thoughts on, on today's discussion. You know, a lot of listeners to this program are active duty judge advocates now. And if you're an active duty JAG and you're listening to this, you know our program is great because we're talking about it all the time. And and you've heard us talk about it all the time. So you know this program is good. It's a tremendous privilege to lead such a group of dedicated and terrific professionals. And so that's it's it's just an amazing group of people that we have, uh, talented and dedicated and very, very highly skilled. So if you've got that spirit of service, though, and you've not been an active duty judge advocate before, if you've got real legal experience and you want greater meaning uh, to your professional life, uh, and to your entire life, honestly, it doesn't matter what civilian law specialty you're in. Virtually any civilian legal specialty has got some use in the JAG or even stuff you might not think about so much. I mean, we don't do a lot of corporate mergers and acquisitions in, in the JAG Corps, but we do a lot of contract law and we do a lot of very sophisticated uh, negotiations and legal work that that involves large scale procurements. So even things that you, you think, well, I don't know if my skills can be applied here. I'll bet they can. And uh, there is a world of opportunity in the JAG Corps as, as a reservist. So if you've got that spirit of service, if you've got real legal experience, like we were talking about before, if you want greater meaning, there is a home for you in the Air Force Reserve as a judge advocate, and you should come play for us because we would love to have you. So we value service, we value stability, we value community, and those ties that we have with uh, the rest of the JAG Corps with our local communities as citizen airmen, uh, the ties that we have with our nation, with the rest of the Air Force, with the rest of the Space Force, all of those things bind us together and they make our service meaningful. So if you've got that desire to serve, look into being a reserve judge advocate and I think you'll like what you see. We'd love to have you. Sir, thank you so much. Um, I'm inspired just listening to all, to you and, and all of the guests today. General Newrock, thank you for coming on. Lieutenant Colonel Odie, thank you as well. And Captain Wong, thank you 
as well for coming on today. I'm much appreciated for sharing your thoughts and insights to all the listeners. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. That concludes our interview. Here are my three takeaways. The Air Force JAG Corps Reserve component is, number one, a great opportunity to serve your country part-time. As Brigadier General Newrock said, it's about that search for meaning, to become part of a mission bigger than yourself, and the ability to enhance your personal and professional growth that you likely wouldn't otherwise have had the ability to do. And as stated in the interview, serving in the reserve component doesn't take the place of your civilian career, rather it complements it. You'll be able to remain a part of your local community and serve. Number two, flexibility in service and practice. With respect to the service, the Air Reserve component is comprised of two main parts as discussed in our interview, which include the Air Force Reserves and the Air National Guard. The Air National Guard has the dual mission to both the federal government and its state, while the reserves mimics active duty in support of the federal mission. Within the reserves, there are two subcomponents, if you will, including the traditional reserves and augmentees to active duty units. The main difference between these two subcomponents is when and how members serve. As Brigadier General Nurak mentioned, a traditional reserve member, like a traditional Air National Guard member, serves one drill weekend per month in their annual two weeks per year. And this is a great option for many folks and what Captain Wong is currently doing. It's good for people who are generally only available on the weekends. However, it could be a bit too rigid in schedule for some folks depending on their civilian schedule. The augmentee component serves two weeks per year plus an additional 12 days that can be scheduled based on the member and unit's availability. In other words, there's typically a, a bit more flexibility with your work compared to the traditional reserve route. However, keep in mind that the work generally needs to be done during the week, but telework can be used at times. Overseas offices use this approach, and this is what Lieutenant Colonel Odie is currently doing. With respect to flexibility in practice, the reserve component, like its active duty counterpart, practices in three main domains of law, including military justice and discipline, civil law and litigation, and operations in international law. And within these areas of law, there are many disciplines and nuances. What areas you practice in will depend on your unit and mission's needs. And number three, the Air Reserve component offers professional development and new experiences. Serving in the military as a lawyer will likely be a new experience for most. It may require you to step outside your comfort zone and engage in areas of law that you've never done before. But this can be a great opportunity for many. As Brigadier General Newrock stated, it was the military that provided him his first experience in appellate law. He had never previously practiced appellate law. However, he came to truly enjoy appellate practice and eventually leveraged his military experience into a full-time civilian job as an assistant U.S. attorney doing appellate work. Lieutenant Colonel Odie stated she was both a prosecutor and defense attorney while on active duty, which helped her develop as a litigator. When she entered the reserve, she worked on contract law for the first time, and this ultimately helped her develop new skills, which she applied in her general practice law firm. She also conducted estate planning in the military, which also enhanced her civilian practice. 
And Captain Wong said she started her legal career as a public defender where she worked for about three years until she moved into the Social Security Administration Division. While there, she focused exclusively on disability law and found that she wanted to diversify her legal skill sets. She saw the reserve component as a great way to do this, along with her interest in public service. Through her military experience, she developed new legal skill sets, which she ultimately leveraged into jobs with the Army Corps of Engineers and Department of the Interior Office of the Solicitor. In closing, our three guests offered their unique experiences that showcase many of the benefits of serving as a lawyer part-time. I'm sure if we brought on other reserve component JAGs, we would hear many more stories like theirs. Ultimately, the reserve component is a great way to become part of a mission bigger than oneself with flexibility, opportunity, and in a spirit of core that is unique to military service alone. I also note that we plan to hold a subsequent interview where we'll speak with a group of paralegals within the reserve component to showcase their experiences. Thank you for listening to another episode. If you like this episode, please let us know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform, and consider subscribing to the show. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Air Force Judge Advocate General's Reporter Podcast. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher and leave a review. This helps us grow, innovate, and develop an even better JAG Corps. Until next time, nothing from this show or any others could be construed as legal advice. Please consult an attorney for any legal issue. Nothing from this show is endorsed by the federal government, Air Force, or any of its components. All content and opinions are those of our guests and hosts. Thank you.